folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're cruising through the apocalypse, the revelation to St. John, chapter 16, is on the docket today. Guess what? Another group of seven, seven bulls. We're going to have seven angels with seven bulls and so on. Revelation tends to do this. I think we've talked about this in the past. Uh, Sevens again and again, they are cycles, and yet we'll see there's also a progression as well. So we get this sense of let's cover the same ground again, seven as a perfect number covering everything that needs to be covered. And yet at the same time, we'll see how these seven bulls kind of enhance uh, the sevens that we've seen before, especially the seven trumpets. I'll have more to say about that real soon. But that's what we're up against today. Chapter 16, kind of a doozy of a chapter. What is it? 21 verses. So there's plenty here to talk about. We actually have a quotation uh, of from Jesus as well. And so uh, we'll, we'll talk all kinds of things here. So without further ado, let's jump into the text of Revelation 16. It reads as follows. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty." Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great, 
to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Alrighty, so there we have the text of Revelation chapter 16. If you forget everything we talk about, I think one way to take a look at this chapter, especially in light of what we've seen before, is this is what happens as the divine service goes forth. This group of seven, I think I've mentioned it before, when you see seven angels, the seven angels pop up in Revelation only in the septenaries, these groups of seven, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bulls, when you see the seven angels, I take that to be a very ministerial group, a group in Revelation that's representative of the office of the Holy Ministry. Seven, all-encompassing, angelic. They have a message to proclaim and so on. Um, they're speaking from the temple or they respond uh, to voices from the temple this kind of, again, ministerial group. We have them here with these seven bulls. I see them as uh, grounded in this way. In other words, Revelation chapter 16, these seven bulls we just heard about, these are in some way, shape, or form taking place right now. They're reflective. They're bearing witness to. They're testifying to spiritual realities in the church of all times and places. I'll say more about that as we go along. But this is a depiction, chapter 16, of what happens when the word of the Lord goes forth, when his divine service goes forth. To be a little more specific there, they're actually, uh, maybe if you have a good memory, you might remember that uh, there's some very similar, there's some correspondence, as you might say, with the seven trumpets. In some ways, the seven bulls are kind of an extension of the seven trumpets that we heard earlier. So, for example, the first uh, what the first bull is poured out on the earth, and then we have the first trumpet stuff happens on the earth. The second bull is poured out on the sea, and then that uh, corresponds with the second trumpet stuff was affecting the sea. You can kind of go down the line. There's some, I, not exact on every single one, but there's a lot of allusion to or resonance with the seven trumpets. Again, this is huge for understanding Revelation. When you get these sevens, it's like a cycle um, covering the same ground again, only in an intensified way or in an emphatic or emphasized way. So it's the same subject matter. We're talking about these, this, the eternal state, spiritual realities, and so on. But um, from another round, from another cycle, from another... Uh, perspective as it were it's the same play only we're going to review it from seven more cameras all around was it did he have full possession of the ball two feet inbounds you know all these things let's review it from another seven cameras all around do another 360 and so there's both cycles it's both revelation is both cyclical it does cycles goes around the same subject matter again from many different angles seven 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 but it's also, in some sense, progressive or linear in the sense that there is a, a notion of we're getting closer to the end. As we mentioned last time in chapter 15, it was, with these, the wrath of God is finished. And so there is a, there is a culmination to Revelation at the same time. A new heaven, new earth, done deal, there you have it, lamb slain, eternal praise, you know, close the book kind of thing. 
And so there is a culmination at the same time. There we go. I guess that's probably suffices for uh, just kind of intro, bigger picture stuff. So let's let's get with uh, how this opens up. John hears a voice from the temple again. When things happen from the temple, that's a way I take it to refer to the church to keep things grounded from the temple. Um, telling the seven angels, this is that ministerial group in response to a sound of voice that comes from the temple, a very churchly reality in Revelation. Go and pour out, this is a very rich word, by the way, this pour out, uh, on the earth, the seven bulls, the wrath of God. Pour out, this word is just awesome. It's used quite a bit in Leviticus. You're pouring out blood. It's used in Exodus and so on, same place. It's used for, it's only here in Revelation 16, in the book of Revelation. It's used for pouring out blood shed for you, poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. It's the divine, it's for the Lord's Supper. It's the go and pour this out. I don't think anybody would have missed it. It's it's to it's as the divine service goes forth the pouring out as the go pour these things out you're thinking wait the cup that our lord has given us has been poured out for us that's a lord's supper term why are you using a lord's supper term in the book of revelation i thought revelation was just about like way up there and way down there and if you use these eucharistic or lord's supper terms then it's wait a minute is something happening as the cup is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Yes, at the same time that that cup is poured out for the forgiveness of sins, there is a pouring out of judgment on idolatrous ways and behavior, and we'll get into that real soon. Go and pour out on the earth the seven bulls of the wrath of God. Bulls themselves are a very liturgical vessel. We uh, probably talked about this before in the last podcast or whatever, but this is, you know, they're in the temple, they're in the tabernacle, these bulls of incense and so on. Um, that himself, that I think last time I mentioned, you get reference to bulls. Why are there bulls in heaven, you know, in chapter 5, bulls of incense, holding golden bulls of incense? Well, I mean, again, tabernacle, temple, this is the stuff... It would hold ashes, fat, or whatever else, but this is the, the point is that these are liturgical things. And so as much as we, again, think of Revelation as heavenly and distant, this is something about all this seven bull stuff. Is This is happening as the divine service happens. Okay, so bulls poured out of God's wrath. What does that wrath look like? Well, you get various depictions of this wrath of God that goes forth as his word and divine service go forth, as his sacraments go forth. Judgment takes place on idolatrous behavior and action. The first one goes upon the earth, and what happens? Harmful and painful souls come upon people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped sin. I guess one thing we should do is, these are also, you know, kind of correspond to the plagues of Egypt of old. But that's the thing, too, about it is that we're in this exodus. We're in the wilderness of this world. And we have an exodus in Christ who's delivered us from sin, death, and the devil. And, of course, I mean, that's the thing about the scriptures. That Old Testament narrative was not just a one-off about the people being freed from exodus. In that uh, is 
eternal significance, something for the church of all times and places. When you read that narrative, something about that, uh, that is testifying something about what is taking place right here, right now. Well, plagues, for example, there are spiritual plagues that go forth when the, the word of the Lord and his divine service go forth. What is it in this case? Well, sores upon, bad sores upon the people, evil and harmful souls uh, upon those who have the other mark. Again, there are only two marks in Revelation, mark of the beast and mark of the lamb, the baptismal mark on the forehead. So for those who don't want that mark, well, the other mark leads to what? This is, I mean, think this is very personal bodily pain. Personal bodily pain upon an individual. Personal anguish. This is the, the kind of stuff that happens when the word of the Lord goes forth, convicts of, of idolatrous practices and uh, behavior and chasing after what is not God, the mark that is not baptismal and so on. Um, this is in the design that this will affect you in very personal ways. There will be an angst there, harmful and painful souls. Second uh, angel, what happens there? It pours upon the sea, and then it becomes like the blood of a corpse. Every living thing that dies is in the sea. The waters in a lot of places. Also, look at the third one, too. The third angel is also on the rivers and springs of water. So there's a lot of emphasis on being poured out on springs, waters, sea, and so on. Um, there's a lot of places in Revelation where the waters are stand for people. We'll see this in the very next chapter. The waters stand for people or for chaos. And uh, you get the sense here that what? Um, the judgment is upon these the, the chaotic things that we go after in this life that are not the true waters of baptism. Again, in Revelation, you have two different waters. The judgment here is poured out on those who would chase after a different baptism, chase after a, a baptism of death. It became like the blood of a corpse. There's a way of life, a baptism of life. There's a way of death, a baptism, a mark of death. And that's why I think that the judgment here, and I heard the angel in charge of the waters, kind of interesting, say, just are you a holy one who is and was, for you brought these judgments. They have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Wait a minute. All of a sudden, we're drinking this? So you go after, uh, you shed blood, and uh, you're judged and punished by blood. You go after false pseudo-waters. You're judged by those waters. They're made, um, what? They're made to drink blood. So they are made, this is like consuming the things of death. You've chased after the stuff that leads to death. Now you are forced to pay that price. It kills, it cuts off, it separates. This is, I think, depicting the consumption of death. You've gone after the things of death, a kind of anti-baptisms, false pseudo-waters, and the Lord has turned them to blood. They, he is not allowing those waters to do for them what they ultimately need done for them. 
he is ordaining that these things would would kill. This is consuming the things of death. And uh, again, the, in verse 6, this is very, very rich. They have shed the blood of saints. The word that's for shed is, once again, go figure, poured out. They have shed blood. They have poured out blood. Our Lord has poured out blood for the forgiveness of sins. If you don't want anything to do with that, they have shed blood. They've shed the blood of saints and prophets. They've given them blood to drink. So either way in life, you're going to be consuming blood. One is the blood shed and poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. The other is the blood that uh, the Lord makes out of idolatrous waters, pursuits, baptisms, and so on, that's been poured out and shed, made into blood for judgment. Lots more to say here. Let's pick it up on the other side of the break. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks. We are back with our study of Revelation chapter 16, Seven Bulls of God's Wrath. We just went for the first through the first few bulls here, and again, this is, uh, I take to be a, a kind of depiction of what happens as the Word of the Lord goes forth, as divine service goes forth, as sacraments go forth, that uh, the false ways, the idolatrous ways are put to shame, are put down, are judged, and this causes real anguish, suffering on, uh, on the part of people, uh, personal, bodily. Um, this consumption of death is made into blood and then they're consumed it. All this, I mean, I just love the language here is so redolent. It's evocative of, again, the, the sacrament of the altar, blood being poured out. They've shed the blood of saints and prophets. It's just so rich. The woman, the prostitute, will be forced to drink from a cup that is the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And so the saints are participating in the judgment of this prostitute from the blood that she's forced to drink that makes her drunk. Again, on the other side is there's a cup, a chalice, that's bloodshed for the forgiveness of sin. So in life, again, only two cups, only two chalices, only two sacraments. 
true and a false, and no one's in neutral land, free from all uh, religious conviction or free from all liturgical or sacramental activity and behavior. Verse 7, I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. There's a lot of back and forth in Revelation. Again, we're in the con- that alone is a very liturgical, uh, divine service, worship-esque kind of thing, right? Back and forth. The angel in charge of the waters say this, and then what's in response? The altar, which is, again, that's grounded, that's in the, that's in the temple, that's in the, the place of worship. Saying now again, who's I? You remember maybe way back, chapter six. There, the souls that were martyred for the sake of the gospel were under this altar. So some have taken this as uh, the voice of those under the altar saying in response to the, which is fine. I mean, in either way, you have this kind of there's this responsory happening um, between. The angel and between um, the altar. The fourth angel pulls pours out his bowl on the sun. It's allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. So here's another one of these, kind of like with the trumpets. Here's another one of these areas where what? The idolatry that you are chasing after. Um, boy, all this emphasis on burn and fire and so on. The source of your idolatry uh, will totally burn. It will hurt. Um, and what strikes me again about this one is that they blaspheme the name of God, which is even in the response to this judgment that they suffer, they acknowledge the, the source of it. They blaspheme the name of God who had power over these plagues. So even in their response to this is a kind of confirmation of the true source of who's sending these things. They blaspheme the name of God. Even those who are, I want nothing to do with God, what do they do? They they curse God, <laughs> right? When things aren't going so well, it's its own kind of subtle admission of, okay, here's the atheist denying God's existence. Bad things happen and it's God this, God that, right? This kind of admission or confirmation or or um, its own kind of affirmation of the source of all of this. They blaspheme the name of God, which is some kind of testimony, too, to what they, they've chased after. They've gone after a false name or they want a name for themselves. So they blaspheme the name of God who had power over these plagues. By the way, that extends to all Christians. I think of 1 Peter 4 and those, if you're insulted for the name of Christ... Why would you be insulted by that? Why don't you just insult Christ? And yet here the Christians are participating in this suffering by bearing that name. Acts comes to mind as well. They rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. And so that name of God, I mean, one thing to put that name of God in there to say, wait a minute, in baptism you bear the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that blaspheming of the name of God is going to pour over, as it were, into not only Christ, but also his body, the church. They did not repent and give him glory. It's not just a matter of cranking up the torment. That's going to bring about repentance. We saw this earlier on in the book. 
uh, we needed a greater kind of witness, and that's going to be the witness of of the church, the witness of the gospel. And uh, you get a confirmation of that here as well. It's they did not repent just because, well, tor- just more torment. Now, granted, the suffering that an individual goes to through is certainly an occasion to reflect on, for example, the nature of what it means to be human and and uh, and also who God is in the midst of this, the relationship between humanity and God, and also the person and work of Christ. Now, to varying extents, all that's fair game to reflect upon when suffering comes our way. And there's a lot more to be said about that. But if it's just torment, like just torment, quad torment, um, revving up that dial is not going to produce true repentance and faith. The fifth angel does what? Pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish, cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Uh, this is another depiction here. So on the throne, again, there are two thrones in Revelation, two kingdoms. You might say this is what? The source of idolatry will darken. It will affect your judgment. You won't be able to see clearly. And the Lord will make it so. This is, what, spiritual and physical. I mean, you have this plunged into, it's kingdom plunged into darkness, but then people nod their tongues. I mean, that's a very bodily, a tongue belongs to a body. Um, We talked about that Revelation 7, he wipes every tear from eyes. Well, I mean, if you, you, you need eyes for the tears and so on, that's a bodily care and concern. This is a very bodily physical and this is self-inflicted they're gnawing their own tongues do you see that i mean this is the kind of thing that um no it's not my fault the devil made me do it and god's doing this punishing and then it's just whatever they nod their own tongues it's self-inflicted uh spiritual and physical torment you might say um God will dark it God will cause that idolatrous pursuit to not do what you want it to do or what you need it to do and it will lead to destruction it will lead to death it will lead to torment and there is this element of self-infliction through it all and they did not repent of their deeds the sixth angel okay here we're cruising along Poured his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Its water was dried up. Euphrates, again, we had that only elsewhere in uh, chapter 9. So there's another one of these connections to the, like all things in groups of sevens, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, they really start to get a little, the sixth especially. I think this is totally the time of the church. The great river Euphrates, its water was dry. This is kind of like an anti-exodus or a backwards exodus, you might say. Um its waters dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. I think that's a reference to Christians. I think this is totally getting into the warfare of the church in all times and places. Prepare the way, sound familiar? To prepare the way, prepare the road, literally. This is John the Baptist stuff. This is the gospel stuff. Prepare the way for the kings from the rising of the sun, literally. For the kings from the rising of the sun, which is used in chapter 7. I think this is totally in reference to Christians. 
Um, I'll say more about that real soon. I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. So you have this kind of anti or unholy trinity. Again, all the emphasis of the mouth is unclean speech. The unholy trinity does its most severe damage uh, by speech, corrupt speech, unclean speech. Like frogs, they're, it's also annoying speech. They croak. <laughs> Um, they're what unclean and so on. This false prophet we talked about that the third entity here of this unholy trinity, false prophet. Again, there you have it, kind of explicit prophet speaking and so on. They're demonic spirits performing signs. Go abroad to kings. Now we have kings of the whole world, and I take this to be all the other kings out there. There are only two kinds of kings. One is the kings that we saw in chapter one, kings and priests made by in Christ kings of the world everybody else to assemble them for the battle and the great day of the almighty here we have this note from our lord behold i'm coming like a thief blessed is the one who stays awake keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked again this was the this was the message to the church baptismal garments keep your garments on don't be naked i'm coming like a thief remember all the end times preaching of our lord stay uh, in that baptismal renewal, drowning the old Adam each day so that a new man may, may come alive and live and reign before righteousness, before God and righteousness and purity forever. That's what this is all about. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So here you have it, special guest Bruce Willis joining us right now. No, just kidding. But they gather them at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. So real quick, Armageddon, what is it? Har is mountain in Hebrew. Ar Megiddo is the mountain. You can go there, by the way. I've been there. It's kind of a fascinating place. But Megiddo is a place where some famous battles in the Old Testament happened where you'd think Israel was going to get totally squashed, and yet the enemy was defeated. You can read about some of these Joshua, Judges 4 and 5 and so on. you got some battles, huge battles. I think Armageddon, I think this is totally the church. I think this is the the spiritual warfare that the church of all times and places has to undergo. The place, again in Revelation, the language of the place is the church, the place that's been prepared for you. It's totally the church. Um our Megiddo is comforting in that sense. Our as mountain, har in Hebrew, mountain, well that's awesome because we're on this kind of safe haven in the midst of the battle, remember that you are up high, safe on the mountain with the Lamb and the 144,000. So we have that, um, and we have this, what, Megiddo, yeah, the battle will be there, but yet remember all the victories where you didn't think it was was possible. And so this is totally, I take a reference uh, to be the church. They synagogue them, that's another word too, This they gather them together. Um, and so that's what's going on right here, right now. Armageddon is right here, right now, not some down-the-road thing. The seventh angel then pours out uh, his bowl into the air, which is kind of what the most expansive. Here you kind of sense that we're kind of doing a culmination of all things. It's going to affect what we breathe. It's all over the place. It's the most universal of all these things. The prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2. This is like things are coming to a culmination and a voice from uh, the temple from the throne says, It is done. It is finished. Sound familiar? Um, 
sounds a lot like the crucifixion. Flashing of lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder, a great earthquake. There's never been anything like this. The great city was split into three parts, so now we have the introduction of this. There are two cities in Revelation. There's the holy city and there's the the unholy city, as it were. Um, God remembers Babylon the great to make her drain the cup, the wine, the fury of his wrath. Again, the two cups and so on. Islands are fleeing. Mountains aren't to be found. Hailstones falling on people. It's kind of fascinating. They should kill them. You know, 100-pound hailstone, and yet it doesn't. So, I mean, one thing that's fascinating about this chapter is there's an element of mercy throughout the whole thing. They're getting punished in ways that are less severe than they deserve, right? If they've shed the blood of saints and prophets, like we saw in verse 6, they should be killed. Um, and yet they're they're undergoing these afflictions, which has this kind of, this element of mercy throughout that in the midst of these idolatrous pursuits, when you realize that God is putting them to shame and causing the kind of anguish that they're causing, well, this is an occasion for repentance, confession of sins, and absolution instead of cursing God for the plague of the hails because the plague was so severe. So you have that element going out even unto the, the kind of culmination of these seven plagues. And that's, I think, quite remarkable for the book of Revelation as a whole, that as you go through, you see in the midst of things of clear judgment, um, the grace and mercy of our Lord, uh, not wanting any to perish, but to come, wanting all to come to the knowledge of the truth. I'm over time. I better call it there. Thanks so much. We're going to pick up with uh, chapter 17. This is the great prostitute. Um, very rich chapter and lots to say there next time. So I look forward to tackling that with you then. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word in the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.